of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world and fandom of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And today is a momentous occasion because we are officially starting our Legend of Korra recap, starting with season one, episode one, and episode two, uh, Welcome to Republic City and Leap in the Wind. So in this episode, here's our quick spoiler disclaimer. Obviously, we're going to have spoilers for Legend of Korra as well as for Avatar The Last Airbender. There might be some potential spoilers for other Avatar media like the novels, like the Hiyoshi novels, maybe the comic books, but we'll give you a warning ahead of time if that comes up. But that's kind of it for the spoilers this time around. We are joined once again by our previous episodes, guest host and friend of the pod, Francesca McMahon. How are you doing, Fran? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy <laughs> to have you back. Like... So oh. nice we invited them twice. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we just had such a great time talking to you on our world building episode. And you are also a fierce defender of Korra, as we are. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the timing was just perfect. Korra Defense Squad. We should get t shirts. Yeah, <gasps> we should. <laughs> so, before we get into the news and the episode's discussion, uh, how's everyone's week going so far? Uh, mine's going pretty well. Um, I didn't mention it on the last episode, but actually, uh, the last episode was the first episode I recorded in my new apartment. Ooh. Um, so that's really fun. It, everything's still kind of a mess, which is why patrons, you can't see the background, but I promise I'm not in the same, uh, <laughs> not in the same room anymore. Um, but yeah, that's been exciting and a, a very stressful process, but, um, you know, we've got everything in the apartment we just have to put everything away now so nice um but yeah other than that pretty good that's good i have a zoom background because i wanted it um we both have for those <laughs> who don't patreon we got republic city as our backgrounds right now fran tried to join in but it just didn't work with the with the yeah. zoom so uh, i'm too pale <laughs> it didn't recognize me as a person <laughs> oh uh, but how are you doing, Fran? Yeah, no, I'm doing pretty good. I um, I guess I had some small news in that I released um, the unboxing video for the proof copies of my first novel, Home to the Wild, which is coming out Ooh, August yay! 20th. Lots of tears. <laughs> well, I don't blame <laughs> you. I don't blame you. That's so exciting, though. We're so happy for you. Oh, how long you. have you been working on that novel? Oh, God. Uh, so writing it? probably like it'll be about two and a half years now i've been writing that and like wow. planning the whole series and stuff like that but mm -hmm. i've had the idea for like nearly a decade um because it was the mm. morphine induced idea for for the story and it stuck Love with it. me even though i was high <laughs> hey that's good well i mean it, it makes sense i mean it's definitely i imagine it can be like pretty emotionally cathartic like this thing you've been working on for so long and like it's finally in your hands you know tangible oh yeah it was a. Uh, it, it was a wild ride and uh, it, it's going to be better when it doesn't. So it had like a watermark on it for like proof copies. So I was kind of like, that kind of mm. sucks, but it's still pretty. But so I'm probably going to cry again when I get the version without the watermark. <laughs> There's plenty of tears to go around. It's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Happy tears. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Kayla, how's your week been? Pretty good. You know, uh, it's the weather has been kind of, you know, it's like that time of year in West Virginia where like no matter whether you put a jacket on or not, you're wrong. <laughs> um like it's just yeah. the weather has just been insane you wait you go out in the morning it's winter you know you come back it's like spring and then you know it's back to winter again like at night it's ridiculous but it's been a really yeah. nice weather the last two days which has been fantastic uh so that's been great for me it's been great for my seasonal depression so that does help um and i'm getting ready to move myself uh, so I probably will stick with the Zoom background for the next few episodes because uh, 
my apartment's going to look more and more like a train wreck. And then the new apartment, it's probably going to take a while for me to look, make it look habitable. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. I- I'm going to take a leaf out of your book there, Andre, on the Zoom background. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Oh my goodness. Awesome. Cool. So before we get into the recap, we actually have a lot of news today. Um, so recently ColourPop, which if you do not know, is a makeup company, um, they have announced an Avatar The Last Airbender makeup collection. So this line of cosmetics includes a shadow palette, a really cute, like Oppa themed compact mirror, a jasmine tea lip mask with Iro on the front of the package, a water and earth face mask mini kit, and a whole lot more. Um, the whole collection is currently on sale on ColourPop.com. The separate items are, you know, they they come and go. Sometimes they're out of stock, sometimes not, because it's it's going pretty quickly. Um, but just looking at the shadow palette when it first came out, I mean, like, it's really cool. Like, they've got um, the names uh, after, like, the, the nations and certain characters. And, um, and yeah, it's really cool. So if you're a fan of makeup, I would definitely go and uh, check that out for sure. Did you guys happen to see any pictures of the the new makeup collection? Right before we got on here, I was watching a TikTok of a cosplayer that I follow who does a lot of avatar TikToks. And she was like doing a tutorial, like inspired by Aang, I think, using the different colors and stuff and like different Mm -hmm. products. And I'm like, why do I have to be a broke grad student? Because I want it so bad. (laughs) I think I saw that video as well. Because I hadn't heard about the makeup collection until seeing like a few videos talking about it. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, right. I mean, TikTok is how I found out about it in the first place. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really cool. Definitely check that out. Um, and then we have some more news for the Netflix live action series. Um, so in an episode of the Handsome Genius Club radio show, I don't know about that title. Um, <laughs> Paul Sun Young Lee, uh, who will be portraying Iroh in the Netflix live action series, has confirmed he was a guest on the show, and he has confirmed that a live action series will consist of eight episodes, and they will last a total of sixty minutes each. Um, Damn. And he also mentioned something else, but I just I want to break this down one bit. So we got eight episodes, sixty minutes each. I think that was like a pretty safe bet for you know the amount of episodes um what do you guys think about this hearing this news it makes a lot of sense like when i heard about it because like what it worked out is like with all oh god all 22 episodes of book one mm-hmm. with these eight episodes at 60 minutes it's actually longer than book one mm-hmm. as a whole and i'm yeah. guessing they're probably actually going to be removing a lot of the filler episodes as well um mm-hmm. so i doubt they're going to have things like bottle of the water tribe for example or um Oh god, uh, the the Great Divide, obviously. the fortune teller. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not the Great Divide. No. <laughs> so they're probably gonna get rid of a few of those things here and there, and then obviously seemingly are expanding on a few things. Where they've got um, Suki's got a mum who's the leader of the the village for Kyoshi Island, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. So it seems like they're expanding on a few different things, and yeah. So it just it made a lot of sense, and for the breakdown of the episode, I think it did a breakdown somewhere of what I assumed the episode should be and there may be some like changing opposition to things like i think they may bring in the roku aspect of like roku coming to ang telling him to come to his temple sooner just to kind of work mm. with the flow of it so maybe when yeah. ang goes into his like avatar state when he sees you know his people are dead and he you know obviously he's very emotional about it is that could be the first time roku comes to him saying ang come find me that's the only thing he says 
and then Aang's yeah. figuring it out and leaves it there or something like that. But like, I think it makes sense, sense for eight 60 minute episodes. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I'm, I'm interested if they're going the route of we're going to take the bigger episodes and give them their whole episode, a whole um, episode to themselves, or if they're going to take elements from smaller episodes and kind of, combine storylines i remember way back when we were recapping season one we were covering the storm episode and i think i said something like you know it would be interesting in the live action series if they kind of combined the arc of the storm with what goes on in the northern air temple episode because that's all about it has very similar themes when it comes to ang um leaving his people and like the kind of the desecration of the temple and the fire nation and their role to play in that so there's certain ways that that or certain emotional themes and arcs that can be conjoined into one story and i know people are not going to like that but i'm interested to see how it's going to play out i can see like you know them going to the southern air temple and instead of you know four episodes later where the gang have to travel to the fire nation to speak with roku he can speak to roku within the room with the statue of avatars like it can be a whole whole different kind of like story that kind of hits on the same um beats but uh yeah i think i think eight episodes would make sense I, i'd be interested to see um like again if they're just going to completely leave out the smaller quote-unquote insignificant or filler episodes or kind of like take elements of those episodes and combine them to make one episode you yeah know? so i'm interested to see how that works absolutely so we we have some sort we have some sort of confirmation <clears throat> on that um, he also mentioned in the same radio show that Netflix, Netflix's live action Atlas series is a hundred million dollar show and Avatar News on Instagram actually has a source on the production who told them that it's even bigger, which is uh, more than one hundred and twenty million dollars per episode, which works out. I'm sorry, one hundred twenty million dollars for this for the first season, which works out to about fifteen million dollars each episode. Jeez. That would have been crazy if it was one hundred twenty. Yeah, right. Each. I was, you said that. Um, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> no, no. I'm sorry. I was like, I'm not even um, sure if Netflix got that kind of money in their pockets. Like, is it? They do. Uh, oh, they, they just do. Don't spend it. Um, yeah, right. But I mean, this is this is really. I mean, not surprising, but. In the grand scheme of things, you know, uh, like the Game of Thrones episodes, that was about $10 million each over at HBO. The Mandalorian ep- uh, the Mandalorian show on Disney Plus is, I think, around this sort of price figure. And we don't even know, like, the budget of, like, the Marvel TV shows. So, I mean, this is pretty pretty high. It, it'd probably go down as, like, one of the most expensive shows Netflix has ever produced. Um, but thankfully, I mean, they seem to be budgeting in accordance to just how much something like this would cost to bring mm-hmm. to live action and i'm i'm guessing that a lot of that money is also going towards the visual effects or at least i, I, I hope it is the effects uh, we, we better not have but the effects were decent though you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> better not have that it better be investing just as much into that story you know exactly mm. and one last thing and we should really be paying uh paul sun young lee for all these news updates because he then posted an instagram video of him and daniel day kim who is playing <clears throat> ozai they're sharing a drink after a long day of filming an episode together now i watched the video a couple of times because it's kind of it there's a possibility that they could have been filming something separately but they seem to imply that they were filming a scene together which is interesting because in the entirety of the whole show, Ira and Ozai do not share a scene. 
Which also makes us forget that they're brothers, you know? Exactly, exactly. And I think, I mean, obviously, this is probably going to be in the form of some sort of flashback, which would be interesting to see. Probably not too far in the past, you know? I don't like like Baby Ozai and Baby Iroh. Um, but I'm thinking maybe like... Oh, uh, like Iroh trying to persuade Ozai not to banish Zuko or something like that. Like I think that could be that could be really interesting because we have we have no idea about what kind of dynamic they actually had before Zuko's banishment. And I think Kaylin and I also that was kind of like something on our list of things that we wanted from the live action series way back, like in episode four or three or something. We were talking about um, like, do we need the live action series? And I think one of the things was like we would. I think it would make sense for Iroh and Ozai to have some sort of development there in the relationship. Mm. I could definitely see it with the Storm episode because, like, when they said that straight away, I was being like, okay, either it's going to be the scene where, like, Zuko stands up, like, you can't send these guys to slaughter, and, like, that's the thing that obviously leads to the Anthony Kai situation. But it's Iroh who stands up saying, like, no, don't listen to the kid who doesn't know what he's talking about. Just, it's, it's fine. I apologize for his, like, speaking out. So, him speaking out, but speaking directly to, Ozai mm-hmm. and then Ozai coming in with the whole situation and leading that whole drama and even Iroh later on after maybe the attack on Zuko confronting Ozai after that being like how can you banish him still after what you've just done surely mm-hmm. this is punishment enough and all these sort of things. so it'd be interesting yeah. to kind of get this personal conflict between the two of them and see how different they are as people yeah, I mean, needless to say, my interest is significantly pinked. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, I'm just, I'm interested to see what this iteration of Avatar is going to look like. Um, still no word on, like, you know, release date, trailer, whatever. They seem to be halfway through the production on season one, so we probably won't hear anything for quite a while. Yeah, um, I think they're meant to finish but, filming in, like, end of May, I think is, or, or start of May is when they finish filming. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we'll be on the lookout uh, cool. for that. Um, but yeah, that's all the news. So we're ready to get into our main recap discussion. Yes, I am. Yeah. So excited for this. <laughs> all right. I let Kayla take the first episode because I know she's been waiting for this moment yes. since we started the whole show. Yeah. So take it away, Kayla. Well, here we are now in the second series of the Avatar series. I'm just so excited about this. I can't even think straight. So let's just get right into it. So <laughs> the episode opens with a brand new intro, but also has some similarities to the to Atlo with the introduction of the elements, but this time representing where we are now in the cycle of the Avatars with finishing off with water as opposed to air. So uh, now I've heard some of my thoughts on this updated intro is that like, um, I really like the introduction of the avatars representing each element because in the original with uh, with Atla, they had kind of faceless vendors that we can't really tell who was it, yeah. except for probably Azula as a firebender. Uh, mm. But that's kind of it. Um, but any quick thoughts on the that like that first like couple of seconds of the intro? There's there's a lot of uh, moments in the pilot that signaled that this is going to be a different show and I'm going to keep talking about the music but it's so the opening music guys compared to Avatar you listen to them back to back it sounds so much more fuller and elevated and like real if that makes sense um and you know that you're kind of in for a different experience um and I think it's cool that that they included the the avatars to represent the cycle i think looking back at it i was like i wonder why they didn't do that in the first show but i think maybe that 
they had that intro locked in for way before they actually started the pilot, maybe as part of their, you know, pitch or whatever. But yeah, and I, I love it because every anytime I watch like a YouTube uh, video where people are reacting to this episode for the first time, everyone always points out, oh, it's a different order. And then as, as someone else is like, well, yeah, it's the Avatar cycle. And it, like, it's the next Avatar. So <laughs> I just, I, every time I see this, I'm just reminded of, of something like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's really cool for sure. Oh, yeah. I love that it's the Avatars as well. Because this is the thing that I always wondered about, like, Avatar The Last Airbender is that I never understood why it was just kind of like, other than, like, Azula. And then obviously you find out that the waterbender is Paku, I think. Yeah. And then Aang is the airbender. Mm. We don't know and who... Also- the Earthbender uh, actually, I think, is supposed to be who Toph was originally going to be. I think that's what yeah. I heard. Um, I thought it was. I thought it, I heard it was uh, Roku's Earthbending teacher. Oh, we heard two different versions of that. What that yeah. hasn't been. Well, I, I, I think it's because answer. it's not. Uh, yeah, I don't think we have an official answer. I think it's just kind of speculation. Yeah. yeah, and I've also heard like it could be Aang, but it also could be Monkeyazzo. Uh, we don't we don't uh, really know for sure. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. thought it was confirmed to be uh, okay. But well, this just proves my point that yeah, right? <laughs> makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. when there is a logic behind it of these are the past avatars in their natural elements that they are representing, and I just thought. Mm-hmm. But also, the way in which they're bending is so cool. You've got Ang Tu mm-hmm. and like break dancing, air bending. Yes. You've oh, just and then oh my god, it's just. It's so cool. It's so slick. And it's just, it was such a fun way to be introduced to it. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, mm. adults. Oh, what, yeah. what is this? <laughs> the color palette. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you go into like, then you hear like Tenzin's voice and it's like, oh. And then you see the, okay. and it's just, <laughs> it's just like lots of, oh, oh, Ooh, oh. oh. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like that. I, I think I think it's a, a big plus is just the recognizability of the previous avatars. Like that's kind of like the first thing you see, right? It so is of the, course it kind the of like five seconds. You in. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Which I love so. is that we've just spent like three minutes talking about the first like five, ten seconds of the episode. No, like there's only been four lines, like four words spoken, and we're just breaking it down. I love it. Yeah, buckle in everyone. Exactly right. <laughs> um, so we hear then hear Tenzin's voice. He's our narrator in the first episode, similar to well, one like Katara, who is the kind of narrator for the intro for the entire series, not just the first episode. But he's kind of a great bridge between these two shows because you know, like I said, his mother introduced the first show, and now she like it's her and Aang's legacy, basically part mm-hmm. of his legacy, the part of their legacy, carrying in the next generation so to speak which is just so yeah. cool um however i don't think it is jk simmons who's uh tenzin's voice actor doing the um intro for the rest of the series though after the first episode i don't think i tried is to, it not i don't think it is it doesn't sound like him i don't think huh and i tried to find out like who does the intro for the rest but I don't think it is J.K. Simmons. It doesn't sound. It sounds different. I don't know why it does to me. Maybe I'm just. That's that's so weird. I don't know why they would get another person to do it. Cheaper, J.K. unless like he was like sick or something. Or I was. Just um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I couldn't find a straight answer there. But you get the background on basically what the world looks like a little bit now since Ang since Ang's time as Avatar, you know, introduces Republic City, introduces the Republic of Nations, um, 
all that good stuff. And then we kind of finished off to see a statue of Aang, which is also inspired by the Statue of Liberty, fun fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so any thoughts on the next like 15 seconds of this introduction? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just like the the parallels of the original intro, like seeing like the map of the the world um, and how it kind of dives in, and we see Republic City for the first time. I wonder if if they kind of played maybe that card a little too early. Like I think I probably would have like maybe just preferred to see Republic City when Corey gets there. Um, and um, but I mean, other than that, it's. I mean, it's pretty, you feel some type of way when you see, like, the the drawings of, you know, the characters of the past show and the way, like, Aang's eyes glow. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's like, you're both, like, sad to, like, kind of let the, those characters go a little bit, but you're excited to see what kind of happens next. I mean, even when Tenzin's, like, you know, sadly, his time on, on this earth, um, like rain out or something it came um, to an end and like like the changing of the seasons a new avatar yeah you know. yeah so it, the the intro definitely has i don't know for me like the wording of it has a lot of like iro vibes too um but yeah i don't know it's just it's just a really really good intro i'm glad they decided to go with a shorter intro uh in the in the next couple episodes because i think that just kind of makes sense but well i mean they um, did have a different intro for the first episode of atla too because like guitar gave like you know true. more of like yeah. the background of like where she's from and like you know what happened the context of like what happened there stuff like that mm. in addition to introducing yeah. the avatar yeah. I think Cora's yeah, intro is actually shorter like when obviously it goes to the short time i think it's shorter than the original I think Avatar's intro is slightly longer. I think they were trying to save, um, I guess, some screen time. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, they like Korra's always had less time for each of their episodes. Their episodes have always been shorter than Avatar's, which always surprised me. But then I learned about Nickelodeon, and I was like, ah, oh, that explains a lot. Mm. Their tickets. Uh, have their episodes really been shorter? <laughs> yeah, most of the episodes. It's only like a, by a minute or two, but most of them, uh-huh. um, at least mainly in the later seasons. I don't know if it's the case for season one. But later on, the mm. episodes have ended up being shorter by only a couple of minutes, but mm. still shorter yeah. um, than what they were for Avatar The Last Airbender. Plus, it's only 12 episodes a season for, I know for fa- like for the first two seasons. I don't know how many are in the second two, but... Yeah, so shorter episodes and shorter seasons, mm-hmm. goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got one more season, but like... Yeah, but we got 10 mm. episodes less. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So... The, the the opening credits, the intro wraps up and we meet the newest avatar. She is obviously very different, but I love her intro. Let me just break that down real quick. We see that the White Lotus has been tasked with finding the next avatar. Um, and I love her introduction because like, you know, they're like, well, we've been looking all over the place for this new avatar and we've seen a lot of like, you know, false confirmation. So what makes you so sure that your daughter is the one? And she and like gets, like she says like oh like her mom's like don't worry you found her she's here she's definitely here and you see her like cleaning up and I'm thinking like the place does look a little disheveled and then we see why <laughs> makes sense uh, I did yeah. not notice that the first time I watched uh, but so and Cora literally bursts into the room declares she's the avatar and you got to deal with it she's like what like four or five years old and already mm-hmm. knows how to you know fire bend earth bend and water bend. Uh, yeah. She knows how to. Doesn't mean she's an expert on it yet. So shut yes. the fuck up, Mary Sue people. Like, <laughs> she just knows how to do it. She doesn't know how to do it with the technique. Anyway, it's going to happen a lot. I'm going to lose my mind a few times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so what are some of your thoughts on 
Cora's dramatic entrance for, I mean, it's very in character, obviously, as we see. Very in character. <laughs> yeah, it, it encapsulates her character so well to the, to the point where it's like, I don't know, it's just so perfect to me. And I think th- there there's so many signs, not just in this episode, but literally the entire season of how opposite uh, Korra Full is of Avatar to Aang. Um, which, again, I I guess people wanted Aang and another character, but it's it's really refreshing because you only start, have only one kind of reference for what an Avatar kind of acts like, mm-hmm. apart from small flashbacks we see of like Roku and Kyoshi and stuff. But Aang is like you know a kid that's our reference of the Avatar, right? But then you have this like fiery four year old girl, and she's already bending through the elements when. You know, it was a struggle for even like Aang to to start firebending, you know. So it's it's definitely like you're in for a very different sort of story here. And I just I love it. You're the avatar. I'm I'm the avatar and you gotta deal with it. Yeah. And we do, and so do the people who hate her, because you guys suck and you need to deal with this situation. Aang is gone. Cora is here. Put on your big boy and girl pants and non-binary pants and all that sort of stuff. And grow up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, yeah, there. I'm pretty sure. Uh, uh, I love the line, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people uh, didn't. You know, she's a four year old like, kid. Of course, she's gonna say something. Yeah, like but that. people don't. They they don't like assertive yeah. or quote unquote aggressive female characters. Yeah, yeah when it's, but it's just it. being the, their authentic selves. Just whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what else I was gonna put. I was going to say about this, but I, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone remembers their first time watching this episode. I have some glimpses sometimes when I watch certain parts, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes I get flashbacks to like when I watched it the first time, but I do remember being like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, seeing that, you know, seeing yeah. Cora bend three elements at four years old, you know, mm-hmm. uh, bending three elements at the age of four, like what? Uh, does anyone else have any like particular did anyone remember their reaction to seeing Cora for the first time I do I remember I'm one of those annoying people that when something really like tickles me I have to pause to laugh and comment on it so literally that first line <laughs> I'm the avatar you gotta deal with it pause oh my god can you believe this character this is so awesome like. she only had one line she only got one line, <laughs> one line and I was sold <laughs> I love it I love it do you remember Andre? My anything, sister was or? not happy though. <laughs> I I don't remember I don't remember uh my reaction to seeing Core for the first time, but I do remember something a little later on, which I'll get into okay. in a little bit. Sounds good. <laughs> so we have a really cool transition as Cora firebends the screen and we flash forward like 13 years or so. Cora's like, I think 17 in the, uh, in the 16 season? in season 16. One. Okay, so she's 16 years old. I'm not gonna do math. Don't ever ask me to do math. Uh <laughs> And so we see her firebend the camera again. And this time she is taking her firebending test. It's, you know, as we see her, she's obviously very skilled at bending. And, you know, as established by the White Lotus and Katara who are watching her do her firebending tests, it's clear that she's nailed down the combative side of bending, but not the spiritual side. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's okay. We got Katara and Aang's son Tenzin to help her learn the airbending and the spiritual side of things. You know, Mr. Spiritual is Katara, but not Katara, is that uh, Cora, God damn it! All the fucking K names, K. It's gonna be a hard. Says country. the Kayla. Says the Kayla. Yeah, right. 
<laughs> don't mind me. <laughs> um, I just want to say this transition into like future Korra and this firebending training thing is some of the best shit we get in this series. I just I watch it over and over and over. It's just so good. On top of the fact that the animation for firebending is just it's just leagues above the original show because obviously you know it's a couple years after animation has got more sophisticated and it's just it's oh i just love it the the when i watch avatar like my favorite element to watch is earth when i watch this show it's firebending because it's just so i can't explain it it's like the way they animate the lighting of it and you can just like almost feel the heat coming off the screen like it's just so it's so fucking good and you can tell that the choreography of of the bending has already changed a lot too. Like we're seeing Cora do shit that we've never seen before, you know. And it's it's also very fitting that her introduction, like as baby Cora and teenage Cora, is focused on the fact that she is a good bender. And I think that'll play into a lot of uh, her arc in this series. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, I'm sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. Oh no, no. <laughs> so I was just gonna say that the thing that I love about this is that. Well, I love and it annoys me with how the fandom reacts to it. Is that straight away we're being shown that Cora's taken thirteen years to pass her firebending training, like she's just mm. she's just gone to the stage where she's just mastered it. It's taken her thirteen years. Like she wasn't a master to start with; she's still been training. But she is incredibly skilled as a bender. But even straight away, like the first time we're seeing her, we're, she's seemingly in the same place that she was before. So we're already kind of getting a sense that things are very different at this point because she's still in uh, the Water Tribe. Obviously, I think we know that she's in the Southern Water Tribe. Yeah, no, we do. Snow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the snow, snow and I think they also mentioned like, oh, we've already tried the Northern Water Tribe and then they've come to the Southern. Yeah. Um, so we're getting the sense that she clearly hasn't gone anywhere else. This seems to be the one place that she's been staying. Obviously, we get that confirmation later on as well. But even this sort of small little scene here. We're still in the Southern Water Tribe 13 years on. Whereas in comparison to Aang, the moment he started learning other things, we were moving everywhere. We were moving to different locations consistently for him, uh, for, for mm-hmm. her, saying her and him at the same time because the Avatar is a her and a him. Um, <laughs> and it's just constantly moving around. Whereas Korra has stayed in the same place for seemingly all 16 years of her life, which is very different to any other avatar we've seen before because we yeah. saw Roku move around saw Karuk move around Yang Che like everyone has moved around yeah but Korra hasn't even Kiyoshi who had a kind of an unconventional introduction to the world mm. by avatar standards she still traveled around while she was yeah. training you know so yeah it is very different that she's being you know it's a very sheltered upbringing you know overseen by the white lotus you know well <laughs> and and not only that we've seen with Aang and Roku canonically that Roku at least traveled to each nation to learn the respective element. The timing of uh, where Aang was so happened to correspond to the element that he was learning. And that seems to be like the quote-unquote normal or just orthodox way that the Avatar should learn the bending because it's, it implies that you're not only learning the bending, but you're also learning about the culture that comes with that nation because you're meant to represent all of them. And and we can get into this later as well, but it's mentioned later on that Aang was the one who wanted to keep Korra 
uh, in this encampment to keep her safe. Obviously, at this point, we don't know from what. Um, but I don't think that... I'm not saying it's an out-of-character decision. It's very in-character for Aang to make this sort of decision. But I do not agree with that decision at all. Because while she's she's having all these masters like fly in and you know teach her the the element and whatnot she's missing a a giant piece of avatar hood which is the understanding of the culture and because she's not understanding the culture i think that's what makes the spiritual side also a little bit harder for her to get on board with you know so i think while ang might have had the best intentions i think he somewhat set up cora for failure even though she does eventually get to that place but you know like it she could have gotten there a little sooner yeah the moment you were saying all of that i was like yes no that must be why she struggles with the spiritual side because she's not learning the culture it, it's like mm-hmm. oh okay that's not i was about to give an example it's like wait no that's a really bad example don't give that one um <laughs> okay i can't think of a good example except for that terrible one but the only thing i was going to say was that it's like when you're learning a language like just learning the language in and of itself doesn't uh-huh. always work like i've been learning korean recently but you've got to understand quite a bit of Korean culture as well to understand things like honorifics and who to use honorifics towards, what specific honorifics you need to use, which is a very deeply cultural thing right. within the Korean like community. Um, and so things that that's the first okay, actually that's an alright example. Never mind, it's fine. Um <laughs> it's a pretty good example. I think it's a great example. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and I think that's similar to Cora. Like she's learning the basics. But she's not actually learning anything of significance at the same time. Yeah, someone's try- coming over to show her how to punch fire out of her fists. But they're not actually teaching her about the history of the Fire Nation or showing her the world of the Fire Nation or anything like that. She's just staying in one place, very different to the Fire Nation and how you know, firebenders yeah. actually live their lives. And yeah. is somehow still expected to kind of you know, be the bridge between these four nations that she has no idea about. Which, yeah. yeah, yeah. as much as we can see, it doesn't seem like she's learning a whole lot about the cultures of each element. And it could be even, even a thing of, like, they tried to at first, mm. but Korra didn't want to learn about it. So they were like, oh, she's the Avatar, just, it's fine, just focus on the bending, we'll get to that later, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there's also, um, actually, before I get to that, I wanted to th- bring up another example of, um, when I was like uh, a string musician, an instrumentalist, you know, when you're playing a piece that's from a certain um, country, it comes with uh, its own specific techniques. Like you wouldn't play Beethoven the same way you would play like a Russian composer like Shostakovich or something. It's very different music. Sure, you can play the notes and play them accurately, but there's a technique involved uh, that makes them culturally rich so if you don't have that it's a little boring to listen to you know um so that's that's kind of what i can think of but i think it's interesting that there's such a big focus on the bending for cora and i think it's almost almost because i think everyone's still kind of shook about the hundred years war thing and i think this is almost kind of like making sure cora is ready to take on a threat like that if anything like that comes in the future. I think it's a, there's an element of proactiveness happening, um, but at the same time, it's, again, robbing her of an essential part of the Avatar hood. You know, like, Aang didn't just defeat Ozai because he 
he air bent real good. Like there was a lot more <laughs> than just that, right? Yeah. So I think that also could be playing uh, a role in it. And I could see Aang, like it was difficult to find a master for each of the elements. So of course he would want the next avatar to stay in one place and have the masters come to her, you know? So mm-hmm. again, I understand the decision. I don't agree with it. Mm. It's possible to do both. <laughs> yeah. So, well, speaking of masters, we have our master airbender flying in with Tenzin, arriving with his wife, Pema, and their three kids, Jinora, Iki, and Milo. Uh, and of course, I appreciate the joke that as soon as I land, Jinora's like, I've just been reading, like, you know, Grand Grand, I've been reading all about your adventures. Like, this is so cool. And like, so whatever happened to Zuko's mom? I died. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I just love the joke that they made there with like, you know, kind of just like, you know, tongue in cheek to the fans and, you know, and then Guitar's like, what, you know, well, Jinora, that's a really incredible story. And then, of course, it immediately gets cut off by, by Iki, which, again, just fantastic joke there. Um, yeah, I do remember being like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> At least we but didn't now have to we know long. what happened. We read the comics. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I always found it really funny because, like, when that episode, when this episode came out, I think it was only less than a year later, we then got the comic to do with Suko's mom's story. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure when the release order was for... I was going to say, it's like... Is this they one, were plugging. Is this, it, was, it was a backdoor pilot. It was a backdoor plug. <laughs> plugging for a comic that had already come out or was about to come out. I love it. I think it was I about to come out, yeah. Because I think at that point... Um, Oh god, what's the one that's come out first? The search. The, oh, the promise was first. The, and then the promise, the and then the search is the one to do it. So I think the promise was already out when Cora's airing, and I think the search came out not long after. Okay. So it'd been some time after mm-hmm. season one was out, and then I think the search came out, and everyone was like, "Oh." So I there think I think it was one hundred percent like a backdoor plug. <laughs> we don't need Katara to tell us. We'll just read the book. Exactly. But there's also a big thing here, which there are now little tiny airbenders yes. going around everywhere. Yes. There's yes. more than one airbender now. It's not just you know, and they're which, all chaotic. Ex- except except for except for Janor, who's just bottling up her chaos right now. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really cool. So yeah, and even and, and Pema was like, it's I just, just want one non-bender kid <laughs> who's not just yeah. gonna blow just not air, blow in, my air in my face and then you know yeah. immediately mila's like hey look mom is snowbender and then she's like yep proving my fucking point here kid <laughs> yeah. oh, god. oh my god oh we we completely skipped over the fact that you know katara is here yeah right she's like well, uh, used to having her around because we've had the fuck we've been talking about her for the last like how many years we've been doing that's this? true <laughs> we know that she, that's true she's just kind of here she's been here <laughs> for us at least <laughs> as yeah. podcasters but yeah she's here and she's the new grand grand yeah Aww. she does look a lot like grand grand and i remember seeing that being like <sighs> my heart there's another grand <laughs> grand thing i want to bring up later in the episode as well um but we'll put a pin in that uh as, <laughs> yeah. we, as we always do um so well turns tenzin has unfortunately come with kind of bad news that he's not coming to stay at the south pole with her to train her in airbending and spiritual stuff because there's some political climate stuff going on in republic city and he can't he can't split himself in two for this uh, right. so he has to postpone her training indefinitely and she's like hey i I'll come with you. Great. Two birds, one stone. You can train me. You can be, you know, leader in Republic City. And they're, and the White Lotus is like, no, no, you're not doing that. Um, and then Cora oh. took that personally. So she decides to run off. <laughs> uh, as she should, though, because admittedly. Honestly, yeah. Like, when were they the going to let her out? When were they yeah. going to let her out? You know? Yeah. That's a good question. Like, when, like, what? When she fully mastered the elements, I mean, 
How long? How long would that have taken? Exactly. I mean, apparently, it's taken her thirteen years to do the first three. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I think I I honestly think they. There's probably I'm now that I'm thinking about it, like thirteen years. Why is she just now mastering firebending? I think it's because there's maybe some sort of double standard going on. Because I mean, when Cora, uh, they, when they find Cora, it's not been that long since. You know, the first show where, you know, in the Northern Water Tribe, you're, the women are not supposed to bend. So I can imagine, like, the water bending master coming and being, like, you know, completely double standarding, standarding Korra mm-hmm. and her just... But but it, it took her more time to prove that she is a master waterbender. Yeah. But, I mean, that... It, it, we also don't know, like, the intervals between, you know, when she started the elements and everything. Add but... that to the comic book list. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'd read it. Not just because I have a podcast, but you know, I'd read it. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. But I mean, Republic City, because it's supposed to be the melting pot of all the cultures, I get is I guess it is a, a faster track for Cora because you know she's already 16, 17. Like it's, she's not gonna go travel to all the nations where she could just go to this one place that kind of re- represents all of them in, in yeah. one place. Yeah, exactly. I did wonder why they didn't have her train there. Like, there was an yeah, island like, dedicated to Tenzin, basically. Like, just him and, like, a few ac- uh, acolytes live there. That's, yeah. And it's in the middle of water, so it's not exactly like it can be easily attacked. So it's a safe, well, sort of a safe haven. Oh, Good place to train. They probably wanted... They didn't want a whole lot of distractions for her, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. You, I mean, you see, like, his rea- Tenzin's reaction to her getting interested in pro-bending. So, you know, that would yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? Katara is all for a little, you know, she's like just great knife for an escape, right? Like I love that she—that's her—that's her entrance there, and like she—it just reminds me of Grand Grand giving you know, so, you know, Sokka and her the the supplies and stuff like that before they go off with Aang to go rescue him yeah. and they go on their journey. Like, I want to cry. That's true. Yeah, that does happen. And so, like, she straight up hands. She literally has a handing of the torch moment to. To Korra, this mm-hmm. is more of a. I think this is more for the fans than anything else. You know, of like she straight up says, "Ang's time has passed. My brother and many of my friends are gone," which also makes me want to cry. Um, it's time for you and your generation to take on the responsibility of keeping peace and balance in the world. And we're tear bending, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But if this was any other character saying this, <laughs> no, I think I would laugh because it's like. You know, it's about time I stop worrying about what the fuck's going on. I I need to rest. I'm like, what, 80, 90 years old? You kids take it from here. Which is what Toph essentially Toph says. Toph says it in, in a way more four. brusque way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's like both very in character for in the ways that they hand off the torch very much. to the next generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then Zuko but is very clearly someone who's just like, I cannot let things go. My honor depends on it. <laughs> Exactly. And I got but, a dragon now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I hadn't noticed this the first couple of times, but this is a small moment of character development for Katara because Katara in the first show had a reputation of not being able to ignore people when they're in need. I'm not saying she's ignoring people in need right now, but she's realizing that she might not be the best person for the job anymore, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool bit of development that we get that's kind of like hidden throughout the the scene but it's it's definitely there absolutely yeah so any other thoughts on this before i move on to the next part um just one quick thing uh the scene where she uh takes snack not god takes naga out for you know a run i guess um i that was the scene i remember watching for the first time as like 
14 years old. And um, it's one of the, again, many moments where you realize just how different the music is going to be. And you hear a chorus theme for the first time. And it's just the this just beautiful landscape and the animation. And you see that Cora is, is while she's very different from Aang, she also shares that kind of like, you know, fun need for adventure. And, and yeah, yeah. And just kind of the lightness and the fun that she wants to have. Um, and it also is just like, this is a big deal. Like this really truly is like a person who has been sheltered for most of her life. Um, so even just like this small trek out into the, to the, the, what, wherever she's going, uh, is a big deal. And I, I just, it's just one of my favorite, favorite moments in this episode. So Cora runs off and she arrives in Republic city. Uh, actually fun fact, one of our, uh, original podcast names we had in the running for, this podcast was Republic City Radio. It was actually, I think, one of the top ones we had before finally settling on the Avatar Hour. So, fun facts. For I you think guys. that was the working title for a while, and then I think it was actually. You know that. And, I, the, and then you ca- you actually came up with Avatar Hour, and then we just decided to go with that. Yes. So, I also came up with Republic City Radio as well. So I'm like, yay! Look at me. Just added a brag real quick. I'm sorry. This is, this is important to me. <laughs> so real quick, I just want to go over some of the influences for Republic City. Um, like I mentioned before, uh, obviously New York City is one of the influences. They have the Statue of Aang, similar to the Statue of Liberty. Um, Shanghai is you know, around the 1920s. Hong Kong and other Western cities like New York, Chicago, Vancouver, all that good stuff. And even the park work, uh, Cora runs, you know, into the equal speaker in Republic City is like Hyde Park in London, apparently. It's one of the inspirations there of uh, the speaker's corner where anyone can stand up and share their thoughts to the world. Oh, yeah, yeah that place. Um, okay. It took me a second. I was like, where is Hyde Park? I'm sure I've been there. And then he mentioned that. I was like, oh, yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I think this, this oh is God. really cool because Republic City is supposed to be a melting pot of the cultures in this world. So it only makes sense that it's influenced from a bunch of different styles of architecture from our world. So, um, and, and you can, it, there's things in the city like Ang statue, like, you know, the thing that looks like the Eiffel Tower, but it's not the Eiffel Tower or like yeah. the, the bridge. Like they're, they're like real world parallels that uh, somehow make it just feel like a real city. Yeah. I like also that there's that you mentioned this the part of the fact that it's it's like reminiscent to do with like Shanghai and Hong Kong as well because this is the thing that I always hate from the people who hate Cora is that they always talk about it's like oh but they've basically just like taken away all the Eastern culture they just basically made it New York and I'm like no you uncultured swine can you not see that there is clearly Eastern influence within Republic City yeah, it's just it's, it's a blend. not true yeah and it's just it <sighs> frustrates me so much because like even the um. The Eiffel Tower, uh, Eiffel Tower, Eiffel, Eiffel Tower. <laughs> the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> um, Check it out, the Eiffel Tower gift shop. Um, I don't know if this was like their intention, but I, oh God, what, I can't remember where I read this. I think it was in a book that I'm reading at the moment, which is by uh, Chloe Gong. Um, mentions that like, uh, I think it's Shanghai. Yeah, I think it's Shanghai. Was also known as the Paris of the East for a period of time during the 1920s. Mm. So I always wondered, like, when we see that little bit thing, uh, the Eiffel Tower looking thing, was a reference to, you know, that whole description that was given during Shanghai in the 1920s as being the Paris of the East. That would make sense. Yeah. So I guess this is a good time to kind of bring back the point I made about um, the Hyde Park, the Speaker's Corner influence, uh, you know, 
Cora ends up, you know, gets vibe and reality checked by Republic <laughs> City in a bunch of different ways in this episode. Left and right. Um, but we get to meet, we get a little bit of a introduction to what the main villain is going to be this season. Uh, and she runs to a non-bender and, introdu- and introduces the bender, non-bender conflict that we didn't really see a whole lot of, I see, see that in the previous season. So already establishing that there's more of this world to explore and more political stuff to explore. Yeah, I mean, you know me. Um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think this is such a genius way to go with the reintroduction to this world because it's so interesting because a lot of the people in the first show that we love, uh, unfortunately excluding Sokka, were benders, right? And we've been taught that bending is like this amazing thing that people can do. And yeah, we've seen it used for good and evil, but you know, it's a major role in this world. And now we're introduced to the reality of the non-benders living on alongside benders and being like, well, but this world isn't built for me. It's built for people who can bend. You know, I'm sure this whole city was built by benders, right? And they were probably made for benders so i think and there's there's a lot of cool parallels like here again to the real world like i'm thinking like just the the parallel of like the for like you know top one percent the rich elite there's like um, certain like uh, parallels to like white privilege and ableism and there's just it's just such an interesting direction to go but i think it's the right one to go with this series i never even considered it that way before yeah the parallels to able as soon as you brought up the point that like you know it was built for you and pointing out you know like the ab- you know the ableism parallels i didn't even mm. think of that yeah. before so yeah, yeah. we're going to get a few more hints relating to um that uh in relation to obviously just kind of skipping ahead a little bit like marco when he's at the power plant power plant is like specifically made for vendors because it's likely right. vendors who are like almost explicitly hired for that job which basically puts anyone mm-hmm. who isn't mm-hmm. a vendor at a disadvantage of finding work. Right. And also with the Korra, like the evolution of technology. And as we see, especially in, introduced in this first season with like, you know, the electric gloves and things like that and the mega tanks and all that stuff, you know, mech suits, whatever the fucking thing is, <laughs> you know, robot suit thingies. I It's been a minute, okay, <laughs> since I watched this. But, uh, you know, just seeing like technology evolve to keep up with vendors right yeah you know and again with the exception of Sokka there are literal statues in the city of benders the police are benders mm. they're they they have a whole sport for bending so I, I of course like as a non-bender you're like what's my place in this world right like the council presumably we know for sure Tenzin and Tarlock are benders so it's like where is their representation? You know, mm-hmm. it, they don't seem to have any, which makes sense of how this kind of like, you know, this inequality that the equalist movement is trying to point out in the wrong ways, maybe. But it's it's definitely a valid... It has points. Yeah, it has, yeah. It has points for sure. I mean, you even see that in this first episode as well, of like Cora's first, in a sense, introduction to the way in which Republic City works is running into one of the triads taking advantage and bullying non-bender people, um, destroying Mm -hmm. their property Mm -hmm. and, you know, fully intimidating them to give them money so they won't destroy their property because they know they have no defense against them. And then even Cora, in trying to help, destroys more property as well. 
with it. So, yeah. Emily, I feel and there's like, even oh, there's even no, oh, go ahead, Brenda. I was go ahead. Say, we, we can half give her a tiny little break because she's never lived yes. outside of an encampment, so she doesn't. Yes. I'm not giving. I'm not, I'm not giving. I'm, I'm not trying to give her a hard time on this. But <laughs> what was it? It's, it's like, bad, like but the, like. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best to not sound like one of those people. Okay, you know, y'all know I love Cora. I literally have her on on my arm. Right now, okay? like, <laughs> yeah, definitely bad. But uh, I just every time I'm just like, okay, how can I use? How can how can I fight against people who will complain about how she's so disruptive? I'm like, okay, she doesn't understand how society works. There we go. <laughs> there you go. There's your answer. There's it's your like answer. It, they, you need context. You can't just take a character's actions and be like, well, they're, they're this person. No, she l- literally grew up sheltered and sequestered from the rest of the world. Of course, she's not going to know that, you know, you need money to pay for food or something. Yeah. She probably had yeah, everything she, done for her. She, she does say that she said, she says in a later episode that I've always had people taking care of me. Yeah. Um, like she learns in this episode, she can't just go around busting things up without facing the consequences for them. You know, like even though she is the avatar. Yeah. And there's that scene in, in the park where she finds the guy living in the bush. She's like, I thought everyone in Republic city was just living it up. Not true. There's obviously a, a massive disparity in like income and stuff like that, which, you know, hits a little too close to home, but you know, yeah, and we see more of that later on as well. Yeah, exactly. So Cora then gets arrested, as he said. She, she, even though she did help take care of the triple that the triple threats, I can't do words today. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Um, even though she was technically helping, she still got arrested for destruction of property, evading arrest, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to meet another child of Team Avatar. We have Police Chief Lin Beifong, who is just as no-nonsense and brusque as her mother, but maybe a little bit more of a stickler for the rules than her. Just a tad. Mm-hmm. Just a tad. Because we, we, we say a tad, and especially because she eventually, whatever, we'll get to that point eventually. <laughs> um Tenzin then bails her out and plans to send her back home to the Southern Water Tribe. But then Korra rightfully points out that she, if she's supposed to be a world and spiritual leader, then she needs to know more about the world by being in it. And then brings and then brings up Katara. And then we have... <laughs> bring my mother into this! Like, it just, I just love how Tenzin tries so hard to be like, you know, the you know, like the peaceful, you know, Aang and all that stuff. But he is definitely Katara's yeah. kid, as we see multiple times. Yeah, he has her temper. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You are the worst. <laughs> ever. Like, <laughs> that's my favorite Tenzin yeah. moments. Some of my favorite Tenzin moments are in season one. Like, I think it's like my favorite. Oh, for sure. But uh, you yeah. know what I love about Tenzin's character, though, is that he's introduced as, like, this wise master of airbending, which he is. Yes. But there's multiple times in this show where he's proven to be wrong, that he's he's actually not all-knowing. Or, or just even in this episode, like, he, he Cora proves him wrong and that she does need to be in part, part of this world in order to lead it, you know? So I like that there's, that, like, that flexibility and that infallibility, or that, in, yeah, infallibility in that character because... It, it would have been easy to just make him this mentor figure that never makes a mistake, right? right? Y- yeah. But that's not who people are. And I think it it, it adds a really interesting layer uh, to his character because it's interesting to see how he deals with that, not knowing how, ha- not having the answers all the time, you know? I mean, it also kind of goes into the themes of the show about learning, mm-hmm. like learning from your actions, learning from your mistakes, learning from your enemies. And he's also like, Korra is obviously like the prime example of this, but even Tenzin can fall into that category too. Absolutely. So 
Cora is then allowed to stay after he's, you know, after he's proven wrong. And uh, he's like, okay, you know what? I amend my previous statement. You know what? You're right. Uh, and, you know, then Cora proceeds to show how strong she is. She's able to lift him and I think his kids up yeah. at the same Ooh, time sure. yeah. without even the avatar state. Yeah. I love it. She's so strong. <laughs> the lesbian I have me just like, <laughs> I'm just, I saw yeah. it and I was like, strong lady, please lift me. <laughs> See, what's really great is that, like, my girlfriend basically is Cora, and, like, she she can lift me up, and I'm just, like, ridiculously happy about that. So I'm like, I'm like, this is my type on screen, and I am dating that in real life. It just makes me ridiculously happy I've to never see hated that. you before, Kayla, but right now. <laughs> right now. Kayla, Kayla's... <laughs> I, get to, I get to brag about my girlfriend at least once. Kayla's, like, hinge bio is, like, must be built like Cora. <laughs> Must be able to deadlift a me Cora, like Cora. Cora, Adora, you know, <laughs> yeah. like Vi. Now I've added that to the list. Yeah. I think mine's the opposite. Mine's the Asami. It's like, I'm looking for the Asami for my Cora, please. Oh, I love that. This one is also an, an announcement. So if anyone is like an Asami type, drop me a DM. Go for it. <laughs> Add a dose of Fran. <laughs> yes, perfect. Perfect. This is, this is the place oh, to yeah. do it. I'm not going to lie. I've done this. Hey, we way both too met much. Our, Andre and I both met our partners online. So, you True. know, it's yeah. possible. Yeah. And I do every opportunity so. I have on a podcast I'm guesting on. It's usually to pimp myself out, apparently. <laughs> New podcast idea. We'll t- we'll title it Avatar's Love, and it'll just be people just trying to look for love. Wait, no, <laughs> within the Avatar fandom. Save that. <laughs> write it down. Write it down. <laughs> yeah, I have all the time in the world for another podcast. Absolutely. Let me just write yeah, this down. Right? I'll do it. <laughs> we have add that to our, add, add that to our endless list of podcasts that we've all come up with. Fran is literally hosting like four different podcasts. She's like working on seven different books, and she's like, "Yeah, absolutely, I could do that. I will do it. I need money." <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, quick quick left turn back into the show. Uh, Cora then is introduced to the world through a press conference, really shows a modernization mm-hmm. of the world they live in. Uh, turns out this season's villain, Amon, has been listening in, and he has plans for her, which now makes me wonder, was what was his plans before? Like, because her arrival changed things. Yeah, like she was get she got there earlier. So what was what was he gonna do? We'll never know. I never considered that. <laughs> yeah, because there is an implication. Like you know, there was gonna there was gonna be this whole other plan, but now that Corey's here, we're gonna have to co- come up or not come up, just accelerate it. Um, but. I mean, it it seems like their plan is contingent on Korra arriving in the city at some point, mm-hmm. which, I mean, it could be implied that Amon has, like, some insiders, like, in the White Lotus who know about Korra's whereabouts and everything. I mean, there were non-benders who were part of the White Lotus. Yeah. 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 Well, are there? Do they have to be benders? Kando. I can't remember. Sokka's master, Kendo, was one of the members of the White Lotus. That's right. Ignore me. Um, Fake fan. <laughs> wow. I mean, they could possibly have changed it considering, like, what happened. Well, obviously, what we but find out later it's, on. It, it's it's a, it's changed, it's evolved. Yeah. But maybe, yeah. you know, mm. I don't know. The White Lotus, <laughs> anti-non-bender. Yeah, right? I, I mean, guess. it would fit the theme, but. Oh, God. Well, that finishes up, that finishes up the first episode on that menacing note. Yes. Um, is that any any other thoughts on our for, on our first Cora episode before we take a break? I've got something to do with the press conference in that Go it's, for it. it's basically just another show of just how 
in a sense out of touch Cora is she is she's not showing confidence she's not clearly not being briefed on how to do a press conference she she was not given a media relations yeah no clearly not and, brief. <laughs> and it was just like that whole thing it's like you know I don't really know what I'm doing you see I'm still in training and it's just like it's just very mm. awkward with that whole interaction and she doesn't know how to interact with people like Tenzin, Tenzin's technically a politician he should know that yeah Tenzin's dumb I love him, but he's done. <laughs> but, but like that whole interaction, though, that it just it kind of gave so much of a hint to me, just like how much Cora is going to struggle in this in in Republic City, and just like because yeah. she's obviously she's had in a sense everything handed to her up until this point. She's not actually lived within a society. Like she had her parents nearby, but she didn't live with them. She lived at that camp. Like, that was the one place mm. that she was able to be. So she didn't even live within her own nation she lived separate from everyone else she has that's no true. one that she's friends with like her best friend is a polar bear dog like yeah that's the level of lack of interaction she's had with others and i feel like the press and- conference is an example of her just not understanding the world i also wanted to point out that like with her isolation of like everything is about being the avatar no mm-hmm. wonder she internalized being the avatar so much yeah even from a young age you know, no wonder she like the avatar is who she is. You know, it's 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 like we and then she we not only see her struggle like with the world that she's put into that she was not really allowed to experience her growing up, but she's also struggling with her identity as the avatar and learning to find who she is outside of her avatarhood. You know, that's what this whole show mm. seems to be exploring. It's like every season she gets absolutely yes, you know, she gets that you know knocked out, knocked into her. Yeah, you know, mm. <laughs> she's kind of like. And this may be surprising to Hip. She's kind of like Azula in that she's the child prodigy. Like everything she is, is being that perfect bender of showing her strength, yeah. of showing how skilled she is. That's all she's good for, which is exactly what Azula was taught. And we saw that, we saw what happened with Azula when she was no, no longer able to hold up that perfect bending image. You see what happened? Well, we, we, I mean, like, at least Cora has a bit of a happier ending, but she still deals with, mm. you know, that even, yeah. like, she has her own, you know, she has her, I mean, she has a whole episode dedicated to oh, it. Yeah, and even in season you know? one, like, the ending just prior to, obviously, like, the last ten minutes. Yeah. All of so that we're, is, we're, like, a more quieter version of what Azula went through, really. Exactly. I didn't even think of those parallels. Oh, my God. Foils. Well, yeah, because she's <laughs> she's living the reality of what it actually means to be the Avatar. And there's many, many instances in this season where she is visibly overwhelmed with what the role entails. Like, Amon scares the shit out of her. She doesn't know how to quell the equalist movement. She doesn't know whether she needs to work with Tarlock. She doesn't know if she needs to do it on her own. She still can't airbend. Like, there's a lot of pressure on her this season. But, I mean, ultimately, it's... Um, it's it's necessary for her growth so mm. well on that note let's take a quick break we'll be back after this ad read with 102 a leaf in the wind see you there hey everyone kayla here before we get into the second half of the episode we just wanted to remind everyone to check and make sure you're following the avatar hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice and if that platform has a rating system please consider it leaving us a review and maybe some feedback With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and to help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. 
All right, and welcome back. Let's get into 102, A Leaf in the Wind. So this episode focuses a lot on Korra and her airbending training, and it's not going very well, to say the least. Tenzin is really on her about it, and she's also constantly being watched by the White Lotus um, until she finds a way to sneak out to go see a pro-bending match. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, Tenzin's teaching style when it comes to Korra. Um, I know for me, I taught music lessons for a couple of years, and this is kind of, I hate to say it, but it's a classic sort of um, mistake when it comes to teachers, because some teachers are like, this is the way you have to do it, and if you don't meet these expectations, you're not doing it right, but a lot of the times, you kind of have to meet students where they're at and find ways to kind of teach them the material in a way that is conducive to their learning style, which is kind of not what's happening here. But what do you guys think of uh, the way Tenzin is uh, going about Cora's airbending training? Uh, well, I'm excited to see airbending training because they didn't really get to see that in Avatar for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and Cora has the same point that I do later in the episode that like, it's ironic that, you know, Tenzin is all about, feeling free, but really she's stuck on the island just like she was stuck in the compound back in Southern Water Tribe. Yeah. You know, not even able to listen to pro-bending or even go see a match, you know. So definitely the the irony of being an airbender, that's super restrictive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's a, there's a lot about, like, Tenzin's teaching that feels quite contradictory. And it similar to what you said, um, Andre, about um, finding ways to teach to that student's strengths because right core is very clear you can see straight away she's the sort of person that she can't get it right the first time she will anger herself and anger herself and anger herself until she explodes as we see later on because she Literally. can't do it like he's not really working to her strengths he's basically saying oh this is what my kids can do you know natural right. born airbenders <laughs> you should be yeah. able to do it too even though she's not a natural born airbender She's not had the freedom of that lifestyle prior to this, which is very, very important to the airbending culture and everything about being an airbender. And yet, he's not even allowed to have her sleeves rolled up. Yeah, yeah, he won't even let her have that. It's literally just like you're trying to change a person to fit your idea of how things should be done, which is never something that actually works out for that person. Like you have to figure out what works for them. And he's definitely taking that method of this is how it's done, so this is how it has to be. And I'm like, you're sending a girl who's never been able to do like a single puff of air into spinning doors that will beat her up if she can't yeah. avoid them. And you think that was a good idea? Yeah. Tenzin, Tenzin, Tenzin. There's a lot of contradictions happening here. And even Tenzin admits that the element opposite to the personality of the avatar is probably going to be the most hardest. So he yeah. knows that Korra is already at, at several disadvantages here, yeah. but his error is not trying a different approach. He tries, he tries using different methods, but the approach is the same. You have to do it this way or you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You know? And yeah, there's, there's, and I, I think that Korra I, is definitely the kind of person I don't get it right the first time. It's never going to work. And while I think she could have, obviously, as an adult, I'd be like, you know, you could be just a little bit more receptive to his teachings and his methods. But so, as someone who who presumably got those el- the first three elements really quickly, 
obviously they're going to be like, well, this isn't working. Obviously this isn't working. So I'm just going to do something else, you know? So I, I, I get it. Yeah. I think the receptive part is definitely like a big thing. Yeah. I think it ties into like what I was saying earlier about her being this sort of like prodigy child is that she mm. hasn't struggled in anything else. And this is the first time. And it's that whole thing. It's like the moment you meet a roadblock when you've never met one before, you're immediately stunted and you have no idea what to do. I don't think Tenzin recognizes that, which I think is why he keeps pushing her till she reaches that breaking point and <laughs> destroys right. an ancient artifact. Um, and it's because she's never had this before. And this seems to be yeah. the only way for her. Like there's like like you mentioned, like he's not showing any other way to learn. This is the one way. And there is no other way. No way of the highway. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that she can't do that and there's no other way to try is something that is like, you know, pissing her off. And it's just like a real struggle. And she doesn't know what else to do. And it's kind of like, it's making her panic. I think like her anger response is her internal panic more than anything of why can't yeah. I do this? Anxiety also manifests itself in a lot of different ways. I know as a very, as a, someone who consistently struggles with anxiety, like it shows up as anger. And, uh, you know, I've talked about me being able to relate to Cora, like have I, I, I've related a lot to her character over the years. And, you know, I am also the kind of person who did, you know, in my case, it was with schoolwork and subjects. I always did super well in school on certain subjects. And then when it came to things like math, math is like airbending for me. Like, yeah, <laughs> it would it would be something. And like, honestly, I remember watching Cora burn the ancient airbending training thing. And I was like. I wish I could have done that to some of the things that I was dealing with, like whether I wanted to mm -hmm. like throw my book across the room or something, you know? So yeah, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> uh, should have done what I did at the end of the year. Just threw them in a bonfire. <laughs> Just all my I did do works, that. I did, all I, sort of stuff. I did do that in undergrad. Uh, when I finished my first online semester uh, during the pandemic, the start of the pandemic, I, my stepmom burned her spanks. It was great. We threw my, you know, we threw a bunch of shit in the fire. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have done that. I was so mad about just how everything about my graduation happened. I basically just like gave all of my like, you know, orchestra music away. I was like, I, I don't want any reminder about how this ended. And now I kind of regret it. But, but, I, I also want to talk about like even the the scene when she's doing like the leaf in the wind thing, which I, I just love and Milo being like, be the leaf. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. But you will not believe, well, you probably could believe the amount belief? of times people belief. Um <laughs> you could believe I the amount of times ah. the amount of times people, uh, especially Legend of Core Retractors, pointed this <gasps> scene as like the reason why she's a terrible person, because she destroys this artifact, this ancient airbending artifact, which by the I way, they like... they fix later on. Yeah. But also it. it's it's so apparent that the person at fault here is Tenzin. He yeah. even has a scene with Pema saying and Pema's like, you just need to try a different approach. Like Obviously, this is something that Tenzin has to deal with. And of course, if you're in the middle of that thing with chorus temper and you're constantly being hit left and right, of course, you're going to burn that thing to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what a teenager does. They're angry. Yeah. They're angry people. I know, right? You know? Riddled with hormones and angst. <laughs> and this and the same goes for what would that do with they all had firebending abilities like oh, exactly <laughs> and the same thing goes for when Tenzin mentions at the beginning of the episode that he thinks uh that pro bending is a mockery of the tra traditional art of bending and again this is another point that is constantly uh used as a way to 
you know, attack Legend of Korra. But it's, again, later proven on in the episode that Tenzin was wrong for saying that because Korra uses the traditional airbending in pro bending. So it's not a mock. It's literally integrated into that sport, you know. And again, yeah. the pro the 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 bending arena thing that we see in avatar so it's it's so obviously you ha it's like the context there's no context in those arguments i'm sensing a pattern here so we we're we're going between like recapping the episode discussing some of the deeper stiff the you know, stuff going on character development all that and then immediately switch and be like we're defending cora and all that stuff i feel like it's just gonna be like that for the rest of the time that we recap cora and honestly i'm fine with it if it means that we have we, we convert some cora retractor person you know, we just changed one person's mind. <laughs> just one. Just I mean, one. <laughs> it's re they're really set in their ways, so I'm not holding my breath for that. But Yeah, right? Yeah. But a lot of it can be boiled down to, did you watch the entire episode? Or just <laughs> like, rage quit Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that was something. But let's, let's, you know, segue into pro bending um yes. i think it's a really cool bit of world building going back to our previous episode that bending has evolved in this commercialized way what did you guys think about seeing this for the first time i wanted to play it so bad you know how like people have yeah, right? like quidditch teams at university i wanted pro bending yeah. teams at university i wanted to start one but i was too afraid and i didn't but god oh. imagine how cool it would have been if they had things like that and just oh it's just it's just such a cool way to use bending for entertainment purposes. It's... It makes me care about sports. <laughs> it's yeah. the only sport I give a shit about. It's, the old, it's one of the only ways to get nerds to care about sports is put it in your fictional universe <laughs> oh, and make it interesting. Exactly. exactly. And oh my God, it's just, it's so interesting just how it, and it's, it could, has like this generational divide situation, tends to be the old geezer that he is. Hates it yeah. because, like, it's just like, I'm like, shut up, old man. And then you got, like, most of the people who are involved with pro bending are young people. Like, you have a few of the teens who are like older generation ones who kind of have, do seem to stick a bit more to like the sort of traditional ways of using the elements mm -hmm. as we see them fight. But it is very much about the new sort of thing of, you know, moving quicker, being more like light on your feet, and actually having the ability to, you know, showcase your skills in a way that is more beneficial to you as a bender which as we see right. later very damn important in this current climate <laughs> um mm. and it's just it just adds so much and this is i love this for world building in general because it's the small things of having like a sports team <laughs> or sporting arena mm -hmm. for people to go to and enjoy it's just oh it's just why do people hate it <laughs> yeah right oh, i'll never understand them what I really, I really think it's interesting because you, you see in this episode, like at first you can kind of see like, it's like, okay, very punchy, punchy, get them to the back of the ring. Right. But as soon as Cora steps in, you know, you realize that there is actually a great deal of strategy involved oh, yeah. in this game as well. Also, right. Like and, it hurts. and it's a com <laughs> Yeah. It, it's brutal, but it's a common critique again, about how the bending is like, again, very punchy, punchy, whatever. But I just want you to, again, realize the context of this and imagine three people on the same team using very different techniques together. It's not going to work. There's going to have to be some blending in order for them as a team to win, right? Exactly. So, of course, it makes sense that the techniques are a little more streamlined, a little more uniform, even though they're using different elements. And again, I just think that's a really cool way of showing how 
bending has evolved and how it's it's again commercialized into this this sport you know um which again is so brutal like yeah um i i have to think that there's there's some sort of evolutionary trait in the the humans of this world that can withstand much more than we can because i mean people are getting hit left and right with these like earth discs right in their stomach that you know, and they're and they're fine. They're just knocked down for a little bit. So I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. They also get like you know, also get like knocked in the water. Which if anyone's like gone off a diving board that's like higher than th- like, you know three meters or higher, yeah, it's gonna hurt if you land like you're being knocked off. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. So that's also gotta hurt. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and it's also um again another display of how much more uh, realistic and advanced the bending animation. Is just compared to yeah. yeah, definitely because well, they definitely, had like a sure. mixture of like CG and two D animation within their pro bending. Like mm-hmm. when we're seeing the pro bending stage, a lot of that is three D animation, like how it's presented. Yeah. Um, I just I love I just love seeing they, the animators really flexed <laughs> during Legend of Korra. <laughs> they really did, um, which always makes me sad with like the first half of book two that they were funding was cut, but then they got it back and it was fine. But like. Just, yeah. that's so skilled yeah. and I'd love them all Aww. shout out yeah. to animators oh, yeah. um, so let's talk about Korra meeting Mako and Bolin um, I love Bolin's intro uh, love it's Bolin. just so charming to me every time I watch it and I just feel like there's something so magnetic about the character and I think it's a great insult to him too to, count, to call him as like the discount Sokka, you know, <laughs> which is, it is, he's just so much more and he's, and he's much more different than Sokka. He's much yeah. more, uh, able to, uh, resolve conflicts. <laughs> yeah. He's not as dry. He's not yeah. dry like Sokka, you know? Exactly. And also every time I rewatch Mako and Korra meeting, I'm always like, what's your deal? <laughs> what's your damn, who hurts you, Mako? I mean, a lot of people, I guess, but who hurts you? Goddamn. <laughs> he gets hit every, you know, he gets hit every match, you know, turns him into a, miserable person I guess but I guess it didn't work on Bolin so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mako shielded him because he was the big brother okay fine <laughs> giving us some redeeming qualities <laughs> I am yeah, honestly like maybe my opinions will change on the, se- on the second full rewatch that I've done of the entire series but overall whenever I think of Mako I just think of meh like I don't hate him I don't mm-hmm. want to hate him I really would rather like a character than hate it. But right. honestly, what's worse than disliking a character, like than like like worse than hating a character, is feeling nothing towards them, especially if they're one of the major like characters in the series. Yeah, you know, like and also particularly disappointing. It's like you know he's named after Mako, the you know voice actor for original voice actor for Iroh. It's supposed to be a tribute to him, and they gave him mm. a boring ass character. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> not great guys not great I think there's an element to his character in terms of fan reaction that I think he gets a little more uh, flack than he deserves kind of like Korra um, yeah. I mean he's definitely not like the greatest in this season like definitely very fuckboy but I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm interested I'm interested to L- see milk again- toast fuckboy Okay, <laughs> milk toast, fuck boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see going forward. You know, even just watching these two episodes through a critical lens again, I'm interested to see how I kind of feel about Mako this time around. You know, yeah, um, I, I don't want. I mean, my opinion will change. That's one of the biggest things that I want to establish. Is you know, as we rewatch things and revisit things, like our opinions may change on things, on characters and stories yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I would say this is the thing that I always wonder about the characters. Is just like 
how would they have been presented and how would their arcs have gone if all four seasons had been greenlit, like from the get-go? Yeah. Like how would their arcs yeah. have been? Like would Mako be a different character? I feel like he would, considering like what we get of him in like the later half of book three and the majority of book four. Like you can see that they really got a handle of his character at this point because they had the ability yeah. to do it. And I think that's the case with a lot of the characters is that they just didn't know if they were going to be able to expand on this. So they had to like proper self-contained arcs and then and keep doing that for a period of time. So I think Marco ended up just kind of getting the worst brunt of that because, you know, he was a bigger character with some elements, but he didn't have the ability to have an arc because they didn't have the time. Screw you, Nick- Nickelodeon. Yeah. I know you said Netflix, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> what well, well, you're already bracing yourself to be cursing Netflix if the Avatar uh, adaptation doesn't go well. <laughs> yeah, you're warming yourself up for that. We don't want to be booing Netflix over no. the Avatar adaptation. Currently, I'm hopefully optimistic. cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic. <laughs> hopefully, uh, I'd say actually more hopefully optimistic because I think so far Hope- from the crew, cautious but hopefully cautious but hopefully optimistic. Yeah, yeah. That's there you go. Great way. Yeah. Great way of wording it. <laughs> I think that's where we're all at. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and just talking about uh, Cora's start as a as a pro bender and her mini breakthrough with airbending. Um, I like I like what you guys said earlier on about how this season is a lot about Cora just finding out uh, or like just her interests as a person, whether they're material or romantic. You know, this definitely is um, a show where this character is like learning more about themselves with each season and each episode. Um, and I, I, it, it makes complete sense that she would love to be a pro bender, um, even though she's n- not the greatest at it because no one briefed her on the rules. So, <laughs> um, but you know, but I, I, I wanted to ask you guys if you were an audience member rooting for the platypus bears and you found out that the other team had the avatar on their side, how would you feel? At first, be pissed. And then I would see that she's struggling and then I'd be not as pissed and then see her succeed and then I'd be pissed again. <laughs> I'd be very I'd go on a roller coaster. Yeah. I, I'd go if... on a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> if I put myself in the shoes of someone who is obsessed with sports, uh, yeah, I'd imagine I'd be pissed as well. <laughs> like, that's crazy to me, but it makes sense, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um. Fran, what, what, what do you think? I was going to say, I'd, I'd be similar. I'd roller coaster emotions, but then probably be fine with it when they and, and when they put in the rule of like, you're not allowed to use any other element except for water. And then seeing that she follows yeah. that rule, I'd probably be a little bit more like, yeah, okay, okay fine. <laughs> but, fine. you know, in the end, she does end up using like an airbending technique to win, which is not something any of the other... Uh, team members probably could have done. I mean, it's not impossible. You don't have to be the avatar to use an airbending technique, but yeah, you know, she definitely has an advantage there apart from just being, being able to bend more than training. one element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I want to talk about you know, there's a, a, a moment where Tenzin you know shows up at the arena. He's like, I can't believe you like disobey me, whenever. And Cora's like, you know, this is what I need to be doing, like learning modern st- styles of fighting and. Tenzin does say like an avatar is, is just not all about fighting, right? But and but this is this is he does have a point, but it it took uh Korra to partake in something that interests her for her to have a breakthrough, which is what should have been done 
from the get-go. That's how you get students to have those breakthroughs, again, is to is to frame the thing that you're teaching in a way that interests them interests them mm-hmm. and i just i again this is one of my favorite scenes of the entire show of when she has this breakthrough and she starts doing the airbending techniques when she's just right on the edge of the water and i think between just the way it's animated the music tenzin's mm-hmm. reaction it's just one of my it's one of my all-time favorite moments in Korra. I also just love Tenzin reacting to pro bending as well as as we see in the series. As <laughs> well. just, he goes from he goes from he goes from like mockery of you know to Brad, yeah. that was a bad call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Were you blind? Yeah. <laughs> he's such, yeah. he's such you know, a like a surrogate father figure sometimes in the series, and those are the moments I can see it when he's watching our play pro bending. I just love it. Absolutely, I love it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we end the episode and there's this shot of Mako and Korra staring wistfully at each other from across the river. Yeah. And there's even there's a comment in, in the Avatar wiki page where it says, do you think <laughs> do you think when Korra was looking across the river, she was thinking about pro bending or Mako? And there's a comment that says each <laughs> and there's like a hard period at the end. And I just thought that was so funny. <laughs> but I know I know we love Kurosami. I know the gays love Kurosami, but it just narratively, no personal feelings. How do we feel about kind of like where Makora, the ship Ugh. name, starts in this episode? I, eh. Oh, sorry. Um, I, that, that's my reaction. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> just like, there's just, there's just not much to go off of. And I'm just kind of like, why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see it more from Cora than I see it from Mako. And the reason why mm. I think it's more realistic from Cora's side is because. She's never seen a cute boy her age before. And of course she's mm-hmm. going to like, she was immediately intrigued by him because she was reading about him. So she was already starstruck initially is introduced to him. They, mm-hmm. you know, obviously they get off to on, on the wrong start. She doesn't, she does back talk him, Marco, which I appreciate. Good for Marco her. has, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Marco has drag king eyebrows. I just want to point that out. They are. Yeah. Like, I do. Enjoy they are them. drag king eyebrows. <laughs> they are. Like, those are something that someone would draw on. Like I love them so much. His eyebrows are like I the love best the thing. eyebrows too. <laughs> um, they have more personality than he does. Uh, <laughs> wow. Poor Mako. But, um, I'm sorry. It's just there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think definitely Cora seems to have more for it. I think it's because first cute boy. First interaction with someone in something that she loves that they bond over Mm -hmm. and have like a bit of a moment about. And then later, you know, she's just kind of thinking about all these things. So she's on the high from pro bending. She's Mm -hmm. on a high from the whole experience. And again, she's just had this first interaction with a boy that she's probably feeling attraction to for the first time ever, which is really sad to think that at 16 years old, Someone who obviously clearly, like in her case, obviously she is an asexual. She is someone who does have romantic feelings towards people. This is probably the first time she's ever had like a crush ever Mm -hmm. because of how sheltered she is. So that look at the end, I think, is both a mixture of pro, like like the comment said, a mixture of I got to play pro bending for the first time. It was absolutely amazing. And I got to have the skill of airbending, even if I didn't bend air. It gets to like a, a high of that. But then also this feeling of, excitement and anticipation of seeing Mako again I think it's something a little extra whereas Mako I think is a bit more of kind of like hmm that was an interesting experience 
we'll yeah. see where it goes sort of vibe yeah because mm-hmm. he's clearly he's he's the sort of like we were saying he's what was it the white toast fuckboy sort of vibe milk 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 toast, milk toast. Fuck boy. <laughs> the milk toast fuckboy vibe of him so he's probably had crushes <laughs> in the past so he's had yeah. that feeling before he's just maybe getting an inkling of it but it's not hitting mm. as hard because he's a lived man so he's he's had right. the experience so it's a little less intense in comparison to Korra. Yeah. yeah, I feel like Avatar continually puts me in these positions where I, I don't know what to feel because initially on the surface, I hate kind of like the cis-heteronormative idea of shape, like... Whatever the fuck it's supposed to no, be. No, it's, not, it's not that. <laughs> it's not that. It's the, the cis-heteronormative idea that like, oh, he doesn't show interest in me. That must mean... Like he likes me. Oh, that so, too. It kind of like that kind of backwards logic. But the more I think about it, it's like, well, Cora, everyone in her life gives her everything, including attention. And this is kind of the first person that doesn't really. I mean, even Lynn, who wasn't impressed the fact that she's an avatar, still kind of gave her the attention that she was not really looking for, but the attention she's kind of used to, yeah. right? But this guy, even when she when he did find out she was the avatar, it didn't whole on the whole change his attitude towards her that much it did a little bit but not much Mm. um and so i think on the one hand i'm kind of because i know maka would be like you know if you want to show a girl you're interested in her pretend that you don't care like that bullshit absolutely is definitely a factor but it i think on the other side of it it's interesting just from a character perspective of of that being one of the many reasons that Korra could potentially be interested in Mako and the fact that yeah. he's not really enamored by the whole Avatar thing. So I don't know. I'm I'm of of two two minds about it. Mm. Okay, he gave me some perspective. I'll sit on this and think. <laughs> it's about perspective. Um, it's about perspective, and I hate it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I literally, as I say, like little. As I said, like literally, ten, I said ten, literally ten minutes ago. We're open to changing our opinions. I'm like, fine. I guess I'll reevaluate. <laughs> <laughs> There's just some things. I, no, I'm kidding. I, I will. I will. Oh my god. Yeah. Um. Um, some again, a small quote from the episode that I just wanted to point out. The moment where Tenzin's like, You must promise me your teenage years won't be like this. And then Janora is deadpan. like, I will make no such promises. <laughs> just deadpan. She just briefly looks up from whatever she's reading. like, I will make no Yeah, such she pulls promises. the book I down. I will make no such promises and puts the book back up. <laughs> like, it always makes me laugh. This, the humor in Korra is is also really good. It's great. Like, it's while great. it might not have the, you know, the same comedic of, you know, comedic moment of the, you know, the cactus juice, there's still some really great humor in the show, too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> just to kind of do another core haters being dumb sort of situation. People Go who complain it. about, you know, the, later on the Milo fart jokes situation. Does no one remember that they made a lot of poo jokes in Avatar The Last Airbender? Like, there's one specifically yeah. of Ang in the spirit world getting on top of a dragon and making it look like he's taking a shit. Like that was yeah. Like, that was a joke within it, and they've done more than one yeah. of those. Yeah, is there bathrooms in the spirit world? Actually, they do not have bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, actually, they do not. Yeah, <laughs> just stuff like that. Yeah, just one of the many things that people love in Avatar but hate, hate in Korra. Korra. Same, it's pretty yeah. much the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't hate Milo. Is like just literally a kid. Whatever. I have no feeling about it. Yeah. I'm desensitized. I coach children three days a week. You know, I, I've met a few Milos in my life. It's really, it's fine. 
Um, <laughs> um, I also, bef- I also, well, before we finish re- the recap, I also want to point out some sure. of the voice actors that we have on cast for Korra. They've definitely managed to up their, like, there's definitely a lot more well-known actors being casted in Korra. Freaking J.K. Simmons is Tenzin. No clue how they got him on Love. the cast, but we're happy to have him here. Welcome, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, Kiernan Shipka, who is uh, Janora. You might know her from The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, but at this point in her mm. career, she was best known for being in Mad Men. So, okay. you know, in fact. Um, Dee Bradley Baker is back. He's Naga. He's Pabu. Uh, Councilman Tarlock, as we'll meet later. And I'm sure countless other voices because he's Dee Bradley Baker. Um, also, we have Mindy Sterling, who is Lin Beifong's voice actor, who you may recognize as Miss Briggs from iCarly, the, you know, yeah. yeah. Every time I tell people it's the same person, they're like, that's her. <laughs> yeah. And I love her. She I love her. Job. Similar vibe, Absolutely. though, as well. Strict, no nonsense. Yeah. Strict. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then we have Jeff Bennett, who is the voice of the radio announcer. You know, that old-timey radio announcer who talks, you know, that I can't do the voice. Don't ever ask me to do voices. Andre does a better <laughs> job than me. He can do voices, not me. Uh, uh, yeah. That radio announcer for Pro Bending uh, is also the voice actor for Johnny Bravo. So if you're a fan of Cartoon Networks, that's another fun fact there. Cool. Um, and of course, there's more to come. These are just the voices that appear in the first two episodes. So there'll be more fun tidbits about voice actor trivia. <laughs> awesome. Cool. I think that wraps up the recap. Um, do we want to start wrapping it up with Fandom Corner? Sure. So this, this uh, another Tumblr thing. Guys, send in Fandom Corner so I don't have to keep pulling from Tumblr, okay? I mean, I love Tumblr, don't get me wrong. But just send me something. Dying here. No kidding. We got but, some. We got some listener feedback in the in the bank that we could start using. Great. Too. Let's do that. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so we. I'm not even going to bother pronouncing these names. So we're just going to roll right into it. Someone posted. Just think when Zuko visits Baby Cora, they would play hide and seek together, and he would find her and shout, "I've captured the Avatar!" Holding her up like the Lion King. Uh, and then one person added, consider also Zuko pick- picking up little Korra at some point. And during their first meeting, Sokka goes around and is like, hey, look, you finally captured the Avatar. Congrats, my man. And Zuko, who's still working on how to treat this new little Avatar, is just cracking up. And this is what part breaks my heart. Little Korra instantly decides that she likes this Fire Lord dude because that laugh feels like the laugh of a friend. Oh, God, her. I didn't read that part. <laughs> <laughs> the response after is like, you... You? (laughs) How dare you you give me feelings? (laughs) This was a nice sweet moment and you just had to break my heart. Uh, This reminds me of, there's this this artwork floating around somewhere. I remember seeing it on Tumblr like years ago. And it's like, you know, Korra and old Zuko like kind of like sharing a cup of tea. um, And, you know, um, just, just, just talking. And like, I think Korra says like, we should do this more. And Zuko says, I agree. And then when it cuts away from Zuko, it's actually Aang sitting there. And it's just like... Oh, I've seen that. <laughs> You've seen that? I, I can never find it when I go to look for it. But I oh, just... I, that's, that's... Yeah. That's imprinted on my brain. <laughs> I don't... I'll have to see if I can find it as well. Because, like, I do remember seeing that and being like, whoever made this, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, actually, one that right. I just thought of... Sorry. This is just some of the same no, go ahead, thing. go ahead. To do with Korra and Asami later on, and it is the image of Kyoshi and Rangi seeing it from the spirit world. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember ah, that too. My heart. I, uh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla can't handle thing. it. I can't handle the things, guys. Stop giving me emotions. <laughs> <laughs> These things, I don't know what they are. <laughs> feelings. Oh. 
<laughs> so, cool. Yeah, moving on to our social media stuff, or uh, let's do. We can do recommendations really okay, quick. Cool. Uh, Kayla, what are you recommending this week? Well, something that worked for me today. Uh, I got home from work. I work a desk job, so uh, my hips kill me consistently with mm-hmm. my being with my hip flexors being as ridiculously tight as they are. So I tried a 15 minutes of yoga. It's like a, it literally is one called like desk job recovery. <laughs> so I did 15 minutes of yoga today as soon as I got home and it's made my hip flexors a little less angry. So that's what I recommend awesome. for the week. <laughs> cool. Um, I recommend buying uh, from retail stores instead of Amazon. Um, I did not know this, but a lot of retail stores like Target, Bed Bath & Beyond, Michaels, they actually deliver and they are actually a lot, the things they offer are much cheaper than on Amazon. Oh. Uh, we got two, like these, those like nine cube organizers, we got two of them for 80 bucks and that's how much about one of them is on Amazon for the same brand. So um, definitely if you're, you know, again, if you're moving, looking for furniture, just look it up on your like, you know, local retail websites and see what they got going i'm always trying to save you guys a buck because it's yeah. it's hard out there right now so yeah right for <laughs> yeah. Sure. and then uh fran do you have a recommendation um yeah and it's just gonna be a self plug because i didn't write one down uh if you like young adult it. stories and wolves buy my short story echoes of the past the prequel short to the into the wild series with the first novel coming out august 20th of this year perfect awesome. <laughs> that is an excellent excellent way to plug excellent recommendation for sure <laughs> awesome so if you'd like some more Avatar Hour in your life and you want to keep up to date on what's new with the podcast, you can follow us on TikTok at the Avatar Hour Pod, on Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast, and on Twitter at Avatar Hour. And like I said before, we're always looking for more fandom corners. So if you got any theories, headcanons, fan art you want us to react to on fandom corners, send it our way through our DMs and the social media handles that I just mentioned, or go to the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com and send it there. Awesome. And if you want some more Avatar Hour in your life, then consider signing up for our Patreon for as little as $1 a month or up to $5 a month. You can access our show notes, ad-free editions of the, sh- of the episodes, Zoom recordings, and much, much, much more. If you sign up for our $5 Air Acolyte level, you also gain access to our flagship benefit, the Avatar After Hour. Uh, Fran, thanks again for coming onto the show. Where yes. can our listeners find you? Yes. So uh, everyone can find me at a dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. And uh, if you want more avatar and percy jackson related stuff you can check out my youtube channel a healthy dose of fran and for all my books and stuff you can check out my website francescamcmahon.com awesome all right well thank you guys so much for listening we will be back next week with some more legend of Korra recaps for you but until then my name is andre i'm kayla and i'm francesca all right bye everyone bye, bye.